Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey Jody, how are you doing? Hello Paul, how you been? Uh, not too bad, I'm actually feeling a little bit under the weather, otherwise uh, fantastic, so I'm a little bit stuffy. For this podcast, you're gonna have it's to. It's that excuse. life on the road, Paul. It's that life on the road you yeah, got. It's been very hectic. Uh, just as a side note, um, I had issues flying out of Chicago uh, yesterday, uh, actually Friday evening. So, long story short, I- I'm here now. But man, uh, that's another harrowing experience for another podcast. So I'm home. It's all good, but a little bit under the weather. But we'll recover here. So um, today's topic is going to be major home renovations. Um, I know we've talked about this in the past, but uh, we're going to jump a little deeper beyond just fixing the toilet or painting walls, right? We're going to go a little deeper into major home renovation topics. Uh, But first, let's talk about some news we saw this week. Okay, so the first story is uh, the headline, and it's from uh, uh, auburnpub.com, and it's uh, four things everyone hates about budgeting. Jody, what was your take on this article? Yeah, this caught my eye because just because when you put budgeting in a headline, and I'll read the whole thing, um, but it ran down these four things that people seem to dislike, hate about creating their own home budget. Uh, and going real quick through the bullet points, one, budgeting is restrictive, two, it's tedious, three, it's confusing, and four, sticking to a budget is hard. My reaction was, well, stupid. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Um you know, there's some good advice embedded in this in this article. Um, the whole idea being, and the takeaway uh, I think is that you got to have a budget, you got to have a plan, you got to have a roadmap. If you don't, your car is just going to be swer- your financial car is just going to be swerving all over the road. You're never going to get anywhere. So, put together a budget, write it all down, just like we've said in the past. That's nothing new, I think, for any um, anyone who talks about personal finance. Write it down, create a budget, uh, plan your course, and and then stick to it. Yeah, I think for me, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, right? I am I budget at the at the macro level. You budget at the micro level. I I would like to budget more at the micro level. I I just I don't know if I guess if I look at these these different pieces, I don't know if they're restrictive or tedious or confusing. I think uh, for me, it's laziness. Probably I don't know. I'm trying to figure out why. Don't well, do more I, you know, micro, I don't do micro, but I don't disagree with any of these things in there. Yes, budgeting is restrictive. Yes, it is tedious. Yes, it can be confusing. But the more you do it, the less confusing it becomes. I mean, if you looked at my spreadsheet, your eyes would cross. I mean, I got to have 150 lines in my Excel spreadsheet. But the the takeaway from that is that I and I, it's evolved over time. I didn't start with 150 lines. I started with you know 10 or 20. Um, the whole idea being is that you develop a, a budget spreadsheet that works for you. And whether it's a spreadsheet or a piece of paper, it doesn't matter. I use a spreadsheet, so that's what I call it. Um, you create that plan. You execute that plan. As the plan becomes more involved or as you choose to make it more involved and put more lines in there, you get more and more specific. Um, and I have found with my personality that the more specific I am, with some of these items, with all of these items, the better off I am to the point where I won't go down a rabbit hole here with a story, but we were going to, we were going to make a purchase uh, about a month and a half ago. 
um, that on the surface I looked at and I was like, we don't have that money. And then I put it into the budget, budget spreadsheet and I broke it into weekly payments and I realized we do have that money. Look at that. But I let the budget spreadsheet do, do the thinking for me because emotionally I went, no way. I, I hit, hit the brakes hard and I said, we're not going to do that. Then when I put it down on paper, I was like, oh, son of a gun, we can actually do that. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's tedious. Yeah, it can be restrictive, uh, but it can also be liberating once you have that thing set up. Absolutely. And I think for me, uh, two things popped out while, we, while you were speaking. One is start, take baby steps to developing your budget. So start with something very simple. Just map out where your money's going. And then once you set that up, take the next step to kind of start your budget in terms of at a high at the high level. And then maybe over time you'll get more granular, but at least start with something to allow you to to work that budgeting muscle, if that makes sense. Totally. All totally. Right. Cool, cool. Well the second story we're gonna jump to was in Forbes of subscription overload. Are you making this common budgeting mistake? And when I was reading this, man, I, I could think of some that I have currently that I probably should revisit um, in terms of keeping track of all your subscriptions and figure out which ones you're really using, which ones you're not. Jody, what was your take on this one? I think we all have this problem in our budgets. You know, we all sign up for something or subscribe to something that becomes a recurring payment. Uh, and it, and we just, we set it and forget it. Uh, and we turn around six months later and we're like, oh, I'm still paying for that thing. Or, or maybe we don't even notice it. I think that's the worst, uh, worse than, than, uh, paying it and saying, do I really need this is continuing to pay for it and not even knowing it's there and not even using it. Um, you know, when it comes to streaming services or any kind of uh, magazine subscription or anything like that, um, be really diligent, I think about, uh, what you subscribe to and where your money's going. Um, you know, the analogy for me would be, you know, you wouldn't sub don't subscribe to something and not use it. Just like don't walk into a coffee shop, buy a cup of coffee, walk outside and throw it in the garbage. You're doing the same thing. Yeah, and that and that that makes sense, right? At the end of the day, um, I can think of other subscriptions where it, you know, because they, they get very, they get lost on your credit card statement. Most subscriptions now are set it and forget it. So it, it comes on, you know, it just goes into your credit card. Now, I know you're not a big user of credit cards, but all my subscriptions are on, on a joint credit card. And we've talked about this in other podcasts about making it easier to facilitate finances. And so we have a lot of subscriptions and monthly payments that just go automatically on the credit card. And then it, the credit card gets paid uh, every month. But you're right. So I would do a review and I'd probably start, for those of you out there using credit cards, start with your credit card statement. Look at it closely and see where you have those monthly recurring charges. And if you're using those subscriptions anymore, uh, whether it's for a streaming service or a gym, uh, there's a lot of different uh, subscriptions that you might have out there that you may or may not be using anymore. So uh, it's good to do a checkpoint every once in a while and take an inventory of what you're subscribing to so you can uh, make sure that you're not overpaying for stuff. Yeah, I have a reminder in my calendar once a month every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. You know, the reminder goes off, check your subscriptions. And I put links in there and stuff like that so I can just very easily go and, and find what I'm looking for. But doing that inventory on a regular basis I think is really important. Even if you do the inventory, you go, yep, I'm good, you know you're good. Very good, very good. I posted all the links to the Facebook page. So if you go to financialdads.com 
or search for us in the Facebook. Uh, just look for Financial Dads. And so you'll find all those all these articles there on a weekly basis. So, okay, now on to our weekly topic, uh, major home renovations. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, my current situation is I chose not to do a major home renovation. But when I was looking for the house that I'm in now, there was a home that we really seriously considered to the point where I brought in a contractor to, to look at a property that needed a second level. It was a single family ranch and the price on the property itself uh, warranted uh, looking deeper to see whether we would be able to renovate and still you know, be in line with costs for the neighborhood, etc. So when we looked at the major renovation, um, I picked a contractor and he came by and he walked the property with me and I got permission from the realtor. I said, listen, if I'm going to buy this home and I'm going to rip it down or put another level on it and, and gut the, the, the first floor, I need to know what I'm up against. I don't want a finger in the air and buy this and then my renovation costs skyrocket and now I own the most expensive home in the neighborhood. So it was no problem. I brought him the contractor. We looked at it, went through everything. Um, and, and the other important thing was timelines. Um, he thought that a 12-week timeline was what it would take to put the uh, renovation in place, which in my mind, I jumped immediately to worst case scenario, uh, which would have been you know four months, five months, right? It, it, it could go for a while, right? And how do you deal with living through construction or do you do it while you're still at your old place? So there's all kinds of things that come into play. I also had a dear friend at work at the time who did the exact same renovation, but he lived in the house while the renovation was taking place, and him and his wife and his young son lived in the basement while they were doing the renovation, and his recommendation to me at the time was either A, don't do it, or B, if you're going to do it, move out of the house. Don't do it while, the, don't stay in the house while the renovation's going on. He goes, it was the big mistake. So... I think that was my current situation. I never did it. I think they could be worth it. But in my mind, you really have to do your due diligence and run your calculations to make sure, A, um, you can live through it. B, your budget will take it. And C, you don't build the most beautiful home in the neighborhood that you can't sell later on. Jody, what's your current situation when it comes to major home renovations? Paul, those are all terrific points, and I think we should we should talk about those in the, in the discussion section. Um, I've done lots of renovations myself. Um, I've gutted rooms. I've taken down walls. I've done lots of cosmetic improvements. I've done electrical work. I've done a little bit of plumbing, which is the only thing that I really don't like doing because water seems to fly everywhere whenever I do it. But um, <laughs> even, even, when I, even when I even when I do turn off the water, there's still water coming somewhere. Um, but nothing that I've ever done, and I don't think anything that any weekend warrior out there has ever done, can compare to living through. Um, living inside your construction project and doing a full house renovation or even a partial house renovation that is, you know, I'll call from foundation up. You know, we're not talking about even, you know, gutting a room and putting up new sheetrock and paint. We're talking about structure. Um, and, and I would recommend, just like you said, Paul, that you don't do it. Um, two reasons. One, you're in the contractor's way, so they've got to work around you, which means they're working slower and time is money. And two, just like your story, the story you told with your friend, Paul, you're going to be miserable, whether you're living in your basement uh, um, or you're just <clears throat> you're stepping over construction debris 
where you're just emotionally you're looking at the house and you're watching them tear it down you know demo comes before anything else you're watching them tear tear out pieces of your house um you might you might get a little shocked at what you see happen to your house it's all going to go back but you might be shocked initially um you know i have a story about when i when i lived in manhattan uh in a in a one bedroom apartment it was a a co-op that i owned and chose to gut and renovate the kitchen which was a very small kitchen very simple job but full gut on the kitchen plus knocking out a little bit of a wall to create kind of a pass-through a pretty large pass-through actually i took down that whole wall uh now that i think of it and creating uh, there were there were 12 or 13 foot ceilings so put in a sleeping loft up top with like a permanent ladder to go in just to create a little more space um but chose to live through it and even though i knew what to expect i came home one day to a pile of debris in the middle of the floor that had to be 10 feet wide and five feet high. And it was just the stuff that they had pulled out. And I knew what it was, but there was that emotional moment where you're like, oh, this is horrible. And there's dust everywhere and it's in your clothes. And it's, I remember pulling out all my clothes out of the closet and just taking them to the laundromat and saying, here, do, the, do, do these. They're all a mess. Um, you know, it, it's, not a it's not a disaster story. I knew what was going on. But it was just a pain in the butt for three weeks while that was going on. And that was only three weeks. I mean, you can imagine when you do a whole home renovation, you could be talking six months. Um, so I think this is one of those situations where the overprepared will win. And we'll talk a little bit about, about that in a minute. Yeah, abs absolutely. I think that there were all a lot of good points. And I think we should just jump into each one of these points. I think the first one, and this is a, a great point. Is picking a contractor, getting multiple bids, not just one bid, but multiple bids, and getting references for their work. So I know for me, if I were to choose to do the home renovation that we looked at, I did have a really good contractor come with me. He was well recommended, did great work in town, highly revered. Uh, but even all that being said, I would still get another couple of bids and start looking because. You have to make sure that at the end of the day, the pricing is in line with with the other contractors. Now, it could be said that everyone's talking to each other, all the contractors are quoting the same prices. I still think that at the end of the day, you have to get multiple bids, different perspectives, not only different bids, they may have a different perspective on how you should do the renovation. They may have a different design, the way they've seen it done differently before. So it's, sometimes it's not just about the money. Um, I know when I renovated a bathroom, I met with two contractors who did exactly what I asked them and they quoted exactly what I asked them. The third contractor quoted me and gave me a better quality finishes and I wanted to do a fiberglass enclosure for the tower, for the shower. He, his pricing came in lower than the other two contractors and he did subway tile with like proper mudding and the floor. So because he was a tile specialist by trade. And and I think that that was important because it gave me a different perspective I didn't know before. And the bathroom came out way nicer than I think if I had gone with my original thoughts. So sometimes other ideas come into play when you meet with other contractors. Jody, what's your take when it comes to picking a contractor and getting bids and reviewing the work? I think that can be one of the hardest parts of the job. It can be daunting. It's a lot of homework. Uh, it's a lot of making appointments and contractors missing appointments. Uh, I think 
uh, you'll learn a lot about a contractor in the appointment process. And in this phase of a project, you'll figure out who you want to work with. Um, not only the guy who, you know, shows up on time or, or jumps to come review your project, um, but then the guy who sticks to getting back to you, getting back to you with a proper bid, um, having all the details in that bid um, that you want to see. Um, I think I think that's a, the most important phase of the project is actually the, the picking part. And go see their work, too. Um, you know, find people that you're not just going to drive by the house, but you can walk in their house. You can walk around the house. You can see, as you put it, Paul, you know, not just not just what it looks like from the outside, but the finishes, um, the stuff your hands are going to touch. I have a big thing about, you know, the most important part of any construction project are the things your hands are going to touch, doorknobs, uh, faucet fixtures, uh, countertops, things like that. Those are the things that really put the polish on any kind of home renovation project. Yeah, that makes sense. Those are all good points. And I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, making sure that you're, you're, you're getting those multiple bids and, and looking at the work is very key. Uh, we're going to switch gears uh, a bunch today, right? Jumping from topic to topic. But the other one I wanted to touch upon was you want to make sure that if you're going to do a major home re renovation, um, don't overbuild the neighborhood. And what we mean by that is if all the homes in your neighborhood are going for 100000 and you put 300000 into your home that you bought for 100000 and now you have $400,000 in a home where the rest of the neighborhood homes are going for $100,000, you're never going to get that money back out of that home purchase. Um, so you want to be careful not to overbuild the neighborhood. You don't want to have the nicest house on the street. Jody, that what's your my, opinion? That was my problem with the last house. Oh, 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 man, the house before this one. We had the, the biggest and newest house on the block because it was a brand new house. It was a spec house that we bought. Um, but it was just it was a nightmare in every way. It was it was too much house. It was too expensive. The taxes were too high, and when it came down to trying to sell it, we had a much, a very challenging time finding buyers for that house. We eventually found one, but boy, what a pain. Yeah, I can believe it. I can believe it, and I think that's key, right? So you lived it, so it's great advice coming from you know the mistakes that we made, right? We always talk about the mistakes that we made, and we made a lot of them, both of us combined. Well, forget it, but we do make a lot of mistakes, so we want to make sure we're pointing those out so you can avoid them. Um, the next topic is is budget to be off-site. We touched upon it a little bit earlier in the podcast, but really, if you're going to budget to do a major home renovation, as part of your numbers, plan on removing yourself from that home and living in another location for that time period and make sure you're adding extra time to that budget and to that to that cost. So if you think that the home renovation is going to take three months. That's what the contractor tells you. Plan on being out of the house for at least four months and find a place where you could be comfortable for with you and your family, that you could still check in on the house, make sure things are going okay so you're not there every day. And like you said before, Jody, not being under the contractor's uh, feet, so to speak, as they're trying to do stuff and they have to be considerate of, your, of, of people in the house. You want to let them just have at it. Make sure you have uh, budgeted costs to move all furniture and all belongings outside the house um, for especially in the affected areas if it's a major home renovation like doing a new uh, a second floor or gutting the whole thing completely you have to remove everything and you have to put it into storage and you have to pay movers to move all that stuff so you have to factor all that stuff into the uh, into in, into your budget what are your thoughts on that Jody 
I think this is the moment you become uh, really good friends with your in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> All joking aside, I mean, sometimes you can't you can't do that, but. Uh, you're totally right, Paul. You got to factor all that into the budget of your build. You can't just tap, you know, if you're going to get a construction loan or whatever, however you're going to pay for it. Um, you can't blow that whole budget just on the construction. Um, the living costs for that period of time have to be part of that. Yep. And, and also you have to consider your time, your anxiety, your stress levels. All these different things come into play. So it's not just about the money. Um, it's the time it's going to take. It's the due diligence to monitor the contractor, even if you have a, a general contractor and they have subcontractors. It's the time you're going to take to visit the site, look at the progress. Um, there's so many things that come into play. The stress of overages and billing, and uh, if you have to move to a smaller place with your family, the, the, the stress of being in a smaller confined space, or like you said, being with your in-laws. There's so many things that come into play. So you really have to do a a 360 view of everything associated beyond the budget with that project. And so there's a lot of things to be considered in that. Um, and the next topic is going in, be direct with the contractor up front. Um, Jody, what's your take on this one? Well, I think uh, this is also really, really important. goes with the reviewing the contractor. Um, you got to talk with the contract about what you expect. Um, it's your house. It's your project. It's your money. Now, you rely on the contractor for their expertise on what they are doing. But if you don't like the way something like the contractor is going to do or, or you don't like the way something sounds, be upfront with them. Um, don't be afraid to tap the brakes or put the brakes on completely. Something that they're going to do that you don't want to do. Or make them explain what they're going to do and why they're going to do it that way. Have a really frank conversation. Uh, conversation with the with the contractor up front because you may find out this isn't the contractor for the job they may be really good at what they do but just personally you're not communicating well that's gonna that's gonna bode really badly for your project overall and it's gonna send it in the wrong direction so just have that really good conversation up front yeah i'd have to agree i mean when it comes to picking the contractor uh, being up front and honest is, is the way to go now i had a situation with that i was a little timid i for the bathroom renovation uh, this is a funny story. Uh, we decided to use the old medicine cabinet because it was a you know it was it was a decent renovation, but we wanted to reuse some things. And when we bought the vanity finally, and they installed it, the medicine cabinet was now off kilter, like it was it wasn't aligned with the sink. And to be Rub honest with down, you, do it again. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I looked at it and I said, well, maybe we could live with it. Right, and so I really considered not confronting and talking to the contractor about it. Um, but once I spoke to the contractor, it was very clear. He said, "You know, I was going to bring it up with you, but I wasn't sure." Like it was very interesting. It, honestly, it was like we both were going to like it was a very weird situation. But in the end, he had no problem, even though everything was painted, everything was done. He spent the extra time to remove the cabinet, fix it, center it, put new sheetrock, paint, touch up, whatever. You would never know that the cabinet was in a different location than it is now. It looks perfectly aligned. And me not being upfront and honest with the contractor about that, and if I never said anything, I might be living with this weird floating 
cabinet in the middle of the wall, right? Where like, <laughs> and so it really is a lesson learned that uh, you have to be upfront and honest with your contractor because if you're afraid or timid not to ask the questions, especially when you see things going awry, I think that's where you really not only upfront but during. So if you see something you don't like, you have to speak up because it only gets worse as they continue to do the job and it may cost you more money later on to unwind that mistake or unwind that decision. Gonna, I was just going to say it gets more expensive fixing problems that, that you blow past and it's really nice of that contractor to have done what he did. I would venture a guess that more than 50% of contractors um, would not do that unless you paid them more money. And, and not just because... Uh, not, I don't think because they're jerks, but because, you know, ripping down that sheetrock or, or, and repainting and all that stuff, that's time and that's, uh, materials. Um, and he's got to go out and maybe he's got to buy some more sheetrock or maybe he's got to go out and buy another, uh, thing of plaster to, you know, to fix up the wall or whatever that is. Um, it comes out of his pocket, out of his profits and, and he's in, entitled to make a profit. I mean, that's why he's in business. Um, so yeah, speak up early. Absolutely. And I think you hit something point that we didn't have but remember that the people working on your home they have to eat too i have a lot of not a lot but i know some people that really negotiate to the bone they have to get the most incredible deal on that and i think you get what you pay for so if you're gonna chisel out on the contractor or you're gonna go with the lowest bid because of price uh, a good friend of ours, we're going to bring him up again, our, our financial superhero, once said to me uh, when I complained about getting a decent painter for the house, his immediate reaction was, what are you going to get a painter on Craigslist? They come in and they spill a bucket of paint all over your living room on your rug and they're uninsured and they leave? <laughs> like you want reputable, well-licensed, well-insured contractors with a good reputation you don't want people in your house that, okay, the price was $500 cheaper, so I'm going to let these people paint my house, and then you wind up with a mess on your hands. So um, I thought that was another insightful uh, tidbit from our financial superhero. But that's Absolutely. just something to think about. Yeah, I, I, and it makes me think of um, something that I've heard in the past, even though I just mentioned about um, you know wanting to hire the contractor that jumps to come bid on your job. At the same time, um, if the contractor – if you say to the contractor, when can you start? He goes, tomorrow. That means he has no other jobs lined up. <laughs> so you may not want to go with that guy. Um, a good contractor has got jobs lined up because they do good work and because they're in demand. Um, so balance that a little bit. You know, maybe, maybe you hire the guy who can start in, depending on the size of your project, in a month or a couple of months or maybe you know, in the spring or whatever. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That does. And and you're right. If if that's like a, it's the like, same thing with like a restaurant. If you go to a restaurant and the parking lot's empty at 7:30 at night, you probably want to go to another restaurant. Exactly. <laughs> so you want to go to the restaurant that's packed or at least has a decent number of cars in the parking lot. You know the food is good. Right? There so it's go. analogous to that. So um the next topic is during. We're going to call it uh, kind of during the renovation process, right? Regular check-ins, progress reports, checking in with the contractor, making sure things are going okay, syncing up when they need additional monies or you need to have certain materials. I know with my small renovation of a bathroom, um, I need to be in lockstep with the contractor to make sure, okay, when do you need 
me to buy these fixtures? When do you need me to buy and supply to you these things? So these are the kind of things you want to make sure you're you're checking in with your contractor. You're having either a daily, weekly uh, check-in with that person. Um, progress reports. Um, maybe it's a walkthrough of, of, of the job once a week, and that's your progress report or formal reports. Jody, what's your take when it comes to uh, regular check-ins and progress reporting? Yeah, I think you must do them. And I go back to the what I said before. It's your home. It's your project. It's your money. You're entitled to look at the work whenever you feel like it. Now, you need to be reasonable and not have you know the contractor interrupt his work to give you an hour walkthrough of what they're doing. Um, but schedule regular check-ins with them um, and because you want to see what they're doing. I mean, I'm a pain in the butt to contractors because I like looking at what they do. I like learning from them and seeing, oh, that's how that works and that kind of stuff. Um, but schedule those regular check-ins because it will also avoid what we just alluded to before, Paul. Um, if a mistake gets made or if something happens and the contractor didn't let you know and you didn't talk to the contractor about it with your medicine cabinet um, – it may go so far down the road that you can't fix it or it becomes too expensive to fix. Um, so, yeah, schedule those regular check-ins. They will help your project. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then the other thing that you brought to mind was if you're going to do a major home renovation, especially when you're taking off a roof and adding a second floor or reconfiguring the inside of your home, it might be worth it to get a decent architect or designer and or designer to come in and, and pay that extra money to get proper plans, to get proper uh, design uh, recommendations so your contractor has something to work from. So you know, I think in most municipalities, if you do a major home renovation that requires structure, you require they require an architect because then you got to file those plans with the municipality. You've got to get a new CO. Um, there's all kinds of things that happen there. But you're right, Paul. That's essential. Yep, and we're going down. I don't want to go deep too deep into the rabbit hole here, but great point that we're bringing up. Making sure you get your planning and the architects. Making sure you get the proper permits, right? Because if you sneak it in, chances are you're going to get caught. And if you sneak a and renovation you in... And you won't be able to sell it. You won't be able to sell it later. Won't be able to sell it. And if, if you get caught, there could be fines associated. Uh, there could be work stoppages. You're going to lose time. You might have to do a lot of rework if it wasn't done right. So... You definitely want to go with a contractor that doesn't uh, turn a blind eye to those things, right? So if you get a contractor and he says, ah, you know, I've been doing this for years, we could get away with this without a permit, you, you might want to consider another contractor because you might get stuck. Because at the end of the day, he's not going to wind up paying those fines and those fees. It's going to be you, right? So make sure that you're properly permitted and make sure you're going down the right path when you're doing all these things. So there's a lot of things to consider. Um, the, the, I guess at the end of each project, there's something called a punch list, a list of items. Uh, hey, this doorknob is loose. Um, you need to repaint this wall. Um, this window is stuck. Uh, there's a lot of different things that would go into a list that would be called a punch list where they're going to go through the home and you walk it with them to make sure they're fixing things. And I've seen on TV where one kind, one, uh, home renovator, when he goes uh, and shows things to his contractor, he uses blue tape. And wherever there's a problem, he puts a little piece of blue tape. Like, here, you got to finish this outlet. You have to finish this doorknob, whatever that is. What is your take when it comes to punch lists? However it gets done, it, it needs to get done. You're right, Paul. You know, you got to walk through uh, with the contractor. I think you got to walk through yourself. 
Um, and that's a good point, again, to, to ask questions about what you did here and, you know, well, why is it this way? And, you know, I don't like the way this looks and that kind of stuff. I think you should be punch listing as you go. Uh, but then the punch list at the end uh, comes up where it's like you said, the doorknob is loose or you need, a, you know, an outlet plate there. That's typically those are the kind of things that are on a punch list. Um, it's the, it's the very end of the project and it's making sure that everything gets done the way you and the contractor agreed it would get done in the beginning. Yep. And, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense. So what you just said, making a list during as well as at the end, because if you see things along the way, point them out to your contractor, make a list and cr make sure you cross it off that they've addressed it. I think that's key. Um, the next topic, and I think it's our last topic for today, is payments. When do you pay the contractor? How do you know when to pay them and what things cost? So for me, uh, with my simple renovation, because like I said, I don't have the luxury of, of doing a major home renovation, but I'm taking my minor renovation and kind of taking points from there and, and, and blowing them out to the major home renovation process. But making sure that you, 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 um, you know how much things cost, you're looking at the numbers. With my contractor for a small renovation, I think there was a deposit up front, there was a little bit of money in the middle, and there was the final payment. So we did break it up into payments. We did not give the contractor all the money up front, and, the, and it wouldn't be fair to the contractor to give them all the money in the end, right? So there's this equitable uh, uh, negotiation or agreement up front where, yes, there's a certain amount of money up front, a certain amount of money in the middle, and a certain amount of money at the end, that's fair on both sides. What is your take when it comes to paying the contractor and things you need to know? I think there's a lot of different philosophies on this, Paul, but I think you hit it right. And you said this earlier too, you know, the contractor's got to eat. And what that means is um, he, he or she not only has to um, uh, take a little bit of profit for themselves as they go, you know, pay themselves as they go. They got to pay their subs as they go. They got to buy materials as they go. And you got to buy, usually you buy a bunch of materials up front and then you buy the finished materials at the back end. Um, so you got to make sure that you're funding that project at the pace that the contractor can get the job done. And I think that's um, what's got to happen too in the, in the planning stages up front is, okay, how long is this project going to take? Here's the basic timeline. Understanding that things get delayed and you got to push sometimes. But here's how much money we're going to need up front to get X, Y, and Z done. Here's where we're going to be going in the middle and then we'll need this more money. And then here's what we'll need at the very end. Um, the whole idea being know what things cost, like you said, Paul, along the way, know how much he's, he's paying his subs, he's paying his, uh, his workers, and how much the materials that he's buying, if he's buying the materials for you, are going into your house. Um, don't just hand him a check, you know, for how many tens of thousands of dollars to say, here you go, um, and then, you know, have them spend it on whatever they want to spend it on. Accountability is key here. Yep, and I think you just brought something else to light. When it comes to, uh, uh, and you made a note of this, don't pay $10,000 for a bathroom vanity. Um, I think it's important to know the finishes you're putting into your home. Well, unless and you're buying a $10,000 vanity. That's true. It's a, yeah. a different podcast. Wow, that's a way different <laughs> podcast, right? So For a very um, different audience, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think there's something to be said there, and I think you've said this on previous podcasts, you know, do a field trip to Home Depot. Do a field trip to Lowe's, whatever your local uh, home improvement store is. Uh, look and see what fixtures and vanities and tubs and uh, shower faucet. Like, just look at what things are going for. 
have yeah, an I mean, understanding. Typically, typically the contractor is going to tell you to go and like buy the toilet, buy the fixture, buy the, you know, that kind of stuff. And he'll take care of the nails and the sheetrock and the, you know, molding and all that stuff. Absolutely. And I think it's also helpful to learn along the way and look at those different things in the store. Use the web. We always talk about this. The web is your friend. Look and see what other people are doing uh, on, on home renovations. Look at pricing on the web. You could probably do everything from your from your couch, right, with an iPad or a uh, laptop or your computer, and you could surf and you could see what things are going for. You could see what prices are going for, um, et cetera. So there's a lot of different ways to take a look at that. Um, and so I would be uh, very over diligent in looking at all these different facets when it comes to finding the contractor, looking at materials, etc. So um, to kind of recap what we talked about today, we always go with the, one of the biggest takeaways. My biggest takeaway continues to be multiple bids. Make sure you get multiple bids, talk to multiple contractors to look at the job with you. Look at those numbers methodically and do your due diligence on the budget. So you take those three bids and then you factor in moving out of the home if it's warranted. All these different things and come up with that all-in number and make sure that your finances can support it. I think too, too many people go in blind. They figure, okay, I'll go with the first contractor. He told me it's going to take three weeks and my whole house will be done. And then three months later, they're in dispute. They realize the contractor ran away with their money. Um, they have a mess on their hands. This happens all the time. So this is one of those situations where using carpenter lingo, uh, measure twice, three times, cut once. Make sure you do all your due diligence, pick the right people, and I think you'll, in the end you'll be very happy. Jody, what's your recap for today? Yeah, I think I'll go back to the top. Um, whether you're doing a whole home renovation, which is what we're talking about here, or even if you're just doing a significant smaller renovation, um, these are situations where the overprepared will win. Lists, budgets, and schedules are your friend. Have direct conversations, set expectations, check in regularly. Um, make sure that when you come out the other end, do everything you can to make sure that when you come out the other end, you're happy and your contractor's happy. That sounds great. Well, Jody, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Jody reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well and thank you. Thank you.